You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which, into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we do now pray that you would bless this glad hour, that you would Uh, teach us, that you would shape us, that you would grow us, that you would fix our hope more firmly on Christ, who is guarding the outcome of our souls, even now in heaven. We pray that you would do this all for your glory and for our own joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all, uh, rumors and zoomers. Uh, My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, It's good to see a few of you that are perhaps new for the first time this Sunday. Uh, And uh, man, it's a a great time of year. Uh, It's a great time to be watching movies and Christmas specials and The Mandalorian. Uh, We we all have favorite movies. Uh, My favorite Christmas movie might just be The Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, it's, yeah, it's debatable whether or not that that is the greatest Christmas movie, but it's not debatable whether or not that is the greatest version of The Christmas Carol. Uh, Gonzo as Charles Dickens. I mean, come on. It's ingenious. Uh, and the story is ingenious. We have three spirits who tour Ebenezer Scrooge through the past and the present and the future of Christmas and, and, in, and in getting, getting small windows into the past and the present and the future. Scrooge realizes his selfishness, his small-mindedness, that he has merely, perhaps his entire life, been concerned about himself and with the immediate, the immediate that is just in front of him. Well, Gonzo Charles Dickens is not the first person, though, to have come up with this ingenious plot device, because the Apostle Peter does the exact same thing here in 1 Peter 1. Maybe not the same level of drama, certainly not the same level of music that you might find in the Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, but you're, you're actually right, not the same level of drama, because there's actually much, much more in 1 Peter 1. Peter's tour, though, through time is an inverse of what you find in the Christmas carol. Instead of past, present, future, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 goes future, present, past. And it accomplishes the same thing. 
In touring through time, we, like Scrooge, will hopefully have our gaze lifted from our small-minded concern with just ourself, with merely the immediate right in front of us, and have our gaze lifted. So we're going to think through this text, this last of our four Advent sermons on on hope, in three sections tonight to consider our salvation of hope. First in thinking about a future inheritance, and then a present joy, and then a past expectation. A future inheritance, a present joy, and a past expectation. So first of all, in a future inheritance, this is actually where we're going to spend the majority of our time this evening. Uh, This is, I think, what Peter is trying to fix the majority of our attention on, is what is to come. So we're going to do the same. Uh, There are some mentions of present and past in verses 3 through 5, but you'll notice that everything, even in present and past, is still pointing forward into the future. So let's just read this again, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So these three verses are just power-packed. Right off the bat, Peter is giving praise to God the Father for his work in initiating salvation, in his sending work of the Son. Clint helped us in his excellent sermon uh, two weeks ago in Galatians 4 to consider some of these themes, the the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of Christ, that he, uh, being our older brother, that the Son of God became the Son of Man, that we, sons of men, might become sons of God. This is incredible, incredible stuff. And Peter is saying blessings and honor and praise to God the Father for all of that. And then Peter lights the fuse on what is going to start a chain reaction of explosion after explosion after explosion of salvation hope. He says, according to his great mercy, despite Israel and despite humanity's rebellion, our defiance, our neglect, our indifference toward God, he does not destroy Israel. He does not destroy humanity. He does not destroy us in anger, but he instead moves toward them, moves toward us in kind and in patient mercy. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son running toward wayward children to welcome them, to provide for them, to comfort them. So according to his great mercy, strike the match and light the fuse. He has then caused us to be born again. Like Clint walked us through in the order of salvation, Two weeks ago, God causes us to be born again, just like you did not cause yourself to be born the first time in your physical birth. If you are a Christian, you also did not cause yourself to be born a second time into a spiritual birth. He has caused and brought about this work of regeneration, this work of rebirth to the praise of his glory so that no man may boast. It's not just that some folks can see or understand spiritual things more clearly, have some particular spiritual insight, and then they believe, no, that would be a human work in which someone might boast, boast in my spiritual insight. It's not just that I choose to have faith while some others don't. That would be a human work in which I could boast. No, God brings spiritual birth, or as Jesus describes it in John 3, he 
describes a second birth as a birth from above, as something that someone receives as a gift by faith. So, if you're a Christian, and we still have a lot more to work through here, but if you are trusting in Christ, the triune God from all eternity has set his fatherly love upon you. He has set his rebirthing power on you. And might this reality, might, might it become like the all-consuming focal point of our affection, of our thought, of our love, of our worship? Not just, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, like I've decided to sprinkle a little Jesus on top of my pretty much unchanged life, or maybe change it a little bit. No, that that God has caused you to be born again, that he has adopted you into his family, and this reality should shape every part of our lives. Not just some, but transformatively shaping all of us. What love of the Father to save and to be causing birth to his children. So back to verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a dying hope, not a crawling hope, not a limping hope, but a living hope. Peter will use this same word, living, well, actually many times throughout the rest of this letter, but in chapter 2, he will use this word living to describe what Christ, the living stone, rejected by men, but then elevated and used by God, this living stone then makes his people into, just like him, living stones built up by God into a spiritual house. These dead and useless stones are then touched by, are then animated by the living stone, receive his life so that these dead stones can then be made alive and now be put to use, can be useful and alive. And so the hope that God brings through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is touched, is animated by the life of Christ so that we now have a living hope because of a living Christ, not a zombie hope that's kind of wandering around aimlessly but still dead, but like Christ, a vibrant and animated, a beating, a breathing, living hope, a useful hope. A hope that does something. What does it do? The explosion of hope in this chain reaction is not the final explosion. It goes somewhere. The living hope is actually a means to an end. Well, to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So in the Old Testament, the inheritance... The inheritance of promise was nearly always about the land, the physical land of Israel, the land of Israel. But even in that Old Testament story, the land, like our hope, is actually just a means to an end. The land was the the place to dwell with God, to know him, to experience him. And so beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, even the word that most of our English translations use in Genesis 1 and 2 for the earth, like God created the heavens and the earth, that word is actually just the word for the land. God is preparing and creating and making a place for his people to dwell with him, to walk with him, to know him, to experience a place of safety and security and peace, of love and of joy. And it is this inheritance, the inheritance that a firstborn child receives, the firstborn son 
that Jesus, as our firstborn older brother, earns and then shares to the full with us, his younger adopted brothers and sisters. And so what is this inheritance that he earns and then shares? It's his kingdom. His eternity of of dwelling and safety and security and peace with God. Entrance into the joy and the delight of living in communion with the triune God. Friendship with God is what he now gives us. An inheritance of living with God, of being with him. Peter can't quite tell us what this is like, what this future inheritance that we are to fully receive will be like, but he can tell us what it's not like. He says that it's imperishable, it is undefiled and unfading. So he says that this life and this inheritance to come is imperishable, not, not just like, not even like the sun or the stars, which will one day, even perhaps billions of years from now, burn out. No, this God, this hope, this inheritance will never perish, will never burn out. It's not defiled. Almost everything good that we experience in life is shaded by selfishness, is shaded by loss. Even the best and the most wonderful things that we can experience or pursue or even accomplish are are shaded by, are tinged by human sin. By our own personal twisting or by societal corruption, it is next to impossible to find something in this world that is actually undefiled. That's why time in like the the pristine, the untouched scenery of like a mountain lake can almost be a transcendent experience. It's a glimmer of the undefiled. It's It's a small glimmer. It's not the real thing because then like an airplane flies over and you're like, oh yeah. Or like you're experiencing this beautiful scene and you get into an argument with your spouse or with your kids or with a friend. You're like, oh yeah, defiled. Not to mention that all around you are bears and mountain lions and ants and viruses and bacteria that all want to kill you. All of this glimmers, these glimmers point us to a reality to which is to come that is actually undefiled, not by humanity. Humanity will actually be the ones receiving this inheritance, but undefiled by humanity's sin our own selfishness, our own self-worship. But this is what this inheritance is to be like, and lastly, it is unfading. There's a very, very real reality that all of life is merely slow death. Your life is just a very slow death. Like, the moment that we are born, the clock begins, and the clock has an end. Even if we perhaps were to live all the way to 90 or 100 years old, our bodies have a very relatively short early period of early vibrancy. And then, actually, the, the majority of our life is, a, is lived in a very experienced and felt decay. All of life is decay and slow death. Merry Christmas. But the hope and the inheritance that is to come The life and joy lived in communion with our triune God is none of these things. Peace, safety, security, love, joy that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. Things that we can barely even comprehend as humans. But, into verse 4, 
The hope and the inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As Americans, we we folks who depend on microwaves and Siri and DoorDash and Cliff Notes and strawberries in the winter, we are ingrained to always get what we want, when we want it, and without, with, with as little discomfort as possible. Right away. But this is not the way of the cross. And this is just not the way that Christians have ever lived. Humans have ever lived until just like about 70 or 80 years ago, like at the end of World War II or something. We get what we want when we want it. The Christian life is actually a life of waiting. And this year has been a useful reminder that our existence in this world in its current state is not the existence that we should hope for. There's actually very little to hope in because almost all of it is perishable, defiled, fading. These things that we thought that we had some security in or we were looking to put our hope in, a steady job or a robust economy, a healthy body, a lack of discomfort, distress, pain, even thriving social lives, deep community. Now we shouldn't intentionally isolate ourselves from others. That would be an act of spiritual self-sabotage in the same way that we shouldn't be careless about our physical bodies. We shouldn't be careless about our health or care about our jobs or our paychecks. All of these are good gifts and often the very means by which God grows us. But if, when, all of those things are ripped away from us, must we shrivel up? Must we shrivel up in a lack of joy, in a lack of contentment, in a lack of hope? Is our hope in a safe and guarded inheritance in this reality? Or is it being guarded and protected in a, by a king and in a kingdom? In 2 Corinthians, like throughout the whole book, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 12, Paul is actually thankful for his failing body. I think very few of us would have that kind of thankfulness and joy that our bodies are failing. He wouldn't have prayed for this kind of failing, but he is thankful for this kind of physical failing because it reminds him that a resurrection body awaits him. Struggle, pain, discomfort, all of this is a helpful reminder that this body, that this existence and this reality was not the thing that he was to put his hope in. But his hope is in a Christ which will come again and will give him a body, a new body that is imperishable, that is unfailing or unfading and undefiled. And it is that hope to which we look, in which we hope, and in which we wait. But that doesn't mean that we Christians will now just sit around and twiddle our thumbs, just putting our feet up and waiting for the Christ to come again, for the hope and the inheritance to be revealed. No, Secondly, a future inheritance now secures a present joy. In verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now the rest of the book is going to make clear that the kind of various trials, the kinds of trials that grieve us or grieve Peter's original readers, these are trials and they are grieving his readers because he is These are trials because they are Christians. These are Christians who are experiencing very real marginalization, very real persecution, because they are Christians. Now, COVID has affected the entire world, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian. And a nail that pops your tire while you're driving on I-25 isn't necessarily a testing of your faith. The kind of various trial that is grieving you. And yet, we can certainly look back on the past nine months, and we can even look on our reality today, perhaps thinking through some of the difficulty of today. And we can look back, experience, think, and realize this might actually be God's refining fire. Blacksmithing and like metallurgy, I know next to nothing about. So the commentaries tell me, and so Wikipedia and other uh, websites tell me. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a bunch of gold nuggets, and then you melt all of that down, all of the impurities of this gold surrounding the good gold will then float to the top in which one could take out these impurities. And then you pour the melted gold into a, a mold, a form. And then when that new melted gold then can be hardened into a bar of gold, well now that bar of gold, an equivalent weight of bar of gold is far more valuable than the, its equivalent weight in gold nuggets. The impurities have been removed. And so perhaps you did have a steady and growing faith in 2019. Perhaps that was the case. Praise the Lord for that. How has 2020 begun to expose and float the 2019 impurities to the top? Can you see that if God is a good father, committed to our ultimate salvation, to our ultimate inheritance, and to our good, then he is using this time for our good. That he is taking away some things so that our gaze might be, hopefully, more fixed firmly upon him. Even for our present joy. But this kind of present joy in the midst of suffering can only come if we are tethered to something that is beyond the suffering. Now, I'm, I'm a terrible water skier, an even worse wakeboarder. Terrible. I can barely get up on a wakeboard, and if I do, it's like five seconds. Uh, Marcy's dad was on the college water skiing team. In Florida, that's a thing, a water skiing team in college. And he, still at 70, can ski barefoot, which is just terribly humiliating uh, for me. 
Uh, but just think about like the violence, the stress, the turmoil, the sheer physics of water skiing. Certainly like barefoot skiing behind a boat. In a vacuum, that should not be fun. That is an activity that should not be fun. But knowing that you are tethered to a boat makes all the difference. Knowing that it is the boat pulling you along, if you can ground yourself in the future, what is ahead of you, this actually brings joy in the present. Over the turmoil and the stress of the just magnitude of violent physics that is happening underneath your feet. Suffering isn't pulling in the opposite direction of our joy. Not pulling in the opposite direction of our assurance. But suffering is actually pulling in the same direction. Now, unfortunately for some, the testing of trials brings wipeout. There are many this year, even in our own body, who the physics of force and drag, a turned edge here or there, has meant crash. There are others who are beginning to or have let go of the rope. The stress of the water is too great, and they are not sure if the boat driver is competent, trustworthy, or even there. They would rather go it alone and are no longer responding to the calls of others, and they are beginning to sink. For others of you, you're just barely hanging on right now. Still moving forward, but just barely hanging on. And not only that, you're, you're not 2020, and perhaps much of the reality of your life is not water skiing on a pristine lake, but it's like water skiing through a hurricane on the ocean. And it seems difficult to want to have fun in this reality. It doesn't seem to be all that fun. There doesn't seem to be a lot of joy to be found in here. But hang on. Hang on, you have a certain hope, an inheritance, and a salvation to come. A sure and steady anchor that is beyond the storm and the waves. Who you are anchored to and where that anchor is anchored to makes all the difference. Is it beyond the suffering? Is it beyond the storm or is it on this side of the storm? It makes all the difference. And if I am anchored to someone beyond the suffering, where I am anchored to a sure and steady anchor in a existence in a reality that is to come, then I can trust that he is pulling me toward him. John Piper once said, life is hard, God is good, glory is coming, therefore stand firm in his grace. Life is hard, God is good, glory is coming, therefore stand firm in his grace. And I'm really hopeful for our church in the coming years. We will have lost some. And that's going to break our hearts as their faith, perhaps in this year, has been shipwrecked. But I'm hopeful for the more valuable gold bar of our tested and genuine faith. Not completely pure, but genuine. On the other side of this, deeper joy, deeper faith, deeper hope. I'll tell you one thing, for the rest of my life, I will never take for granted the gathering of this people on a Sunday. Never again. I will never take for granted the loud singing of praises of God's people to him. 
I will never take for granted meeting you for coffee, sitting at each one, one another's dinner tables. What a gift that we had. And what a gift it will be. I'm hopeful that living life together and toward the city will be a greater lived reality for us in 2021 than it was in 2019 because of 2020. All because we have to get together, endured, and were even joyful through this year. I recently read one pastor say, when you read ancient Christians, you notice something. We mainly talk about Christ sharing in our sufferings, don't we? We mainly talk about Christ sharing in our sufferings. But when you read ancient Christians, they mainly talk about our sharing in his. That's a big difference. In Christ, for the joy set before him went willingly to the cross. Joy through suffering for the glory of God, for the love of his people. Joy in the present because of the hope that is to come. And he, the Father, through the work of the Spirit, is now making us like Christ through suffering. The King has broken into the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Not has come. I say this nearly every year. You notice that we don't sing that right. He didn't. He hasn't come. It's not, we don't sing the Lord has come in the past, but the Lord is come. Has and is and is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Making room in our hearts for him, for joy. A king and a kingdom, both now and forever. I, I heard the, the worldview of Roman Stoics recently described like this. Roman Stoics they did what they could with what they had where they were. Hear that again. This is like the worldview of Stoics. They did what they could with what they had where they were. Now, we have much, much more than that. We have adoption into the family of God and the present spirit of God, so we can supercharge that worldview. But I, I, I like it. They did what they could with what they had where they were. Difficult circumstances, even suffering circumstances, do not demand miserable hearts. A future inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled actually ignites present joyful hearts. As difficult as that may be, it is a fight for joy as we look forward in hope and in faith. Then Peter having now considered the future and the present, has the ghost of Christmas past show up in the Muppet Christmas Carol. It is a very creepy young girl. She's very creepy, the ghost of Christmas past, but she can fly, so it turns out all right. Uh, she can make Scrooge and Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat fly. Uh, and so we're going to fly back now into the past. Lastly, a past expectation, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter goes back in time to the prophets, considering what it was that they were considering. And what they were considering is now what you are experiencing. 
Everything that they were considering is what now, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, what you are experiencing. And what you are experiencing, Peter says, is amazing. In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, the one who came and rehashed and re-preached Isaiah 40 that we considered in our call to worship tonight. And John the Baptist is what we might consider the last of the Old Testament prophets. The last of the line of folks who are preaching about the Christ who would come, about the nature of his kingdom. And Jesus says this about John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says that John the Baptist is like the greatest human that's ever lived up until this point. He doesn't say why, but the implication I think Jesus is making is that Jesus, or that John is a prophet speaking for God, but he's also a prophet who has seen the Christ. He baptized Jesus, and kind of like the, the old man Simeon in Luke 2, when the young boy Jesus is consecrated at the temple, John, unlike Isaiah or Jeremiah, Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Amos, John, like Simeon, the old man, could say, I can now die in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The Savior of hope has come, and I have seen him. So Jesus is saying, here is a prophet that speaks for God, who has also seen the salvation of God. But then Jesus goes on in Matthew 11. He says, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is he saying? Well, that when the kingdom arrives at King Jesus' coronation ceremony, his being high and lifted up, his being crowned as king of the Jews and of the nations, crowned as a king of suffering and of love, even the least in his kingdom are greater than John. The least of you, with a strong or a weak faith, is greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. You are experiencing a greater reality than John the Baptist. You know of the crucifixion and the resurrection love of Christ. You have the assurance given to you by the Holy Spirit. You have the later witnesses or the witness of the apostles that John didn't have access to. All of this would have been almost too much to imagine, to experience for the prophets of old. But ultimately, Peter tells us that all of these earlier prophets lived and taught things that were preparatory. They were pointing forward to the present. Verse 12, they were serving not themselves, but you. Their lives and their prophetic ministry were for your sake, were for your joy. Remember in the, in the Muppet Christmas Carol? It's not that uh, Fozzie Wig played immaculately by Fozzie Bear. Uh, Fozzie Wig didn't actually throw a party that was meant to be enjoyed in the present of the past. He did throw a party in the past. Follow me here through the time travel. Fozzie Wig throws a party in the past, and it was experienced joyfully in the past, but the ghost of 
Christmas past doesn't take Scrooge to this party to experience that joy back then, but to consider the joy back then. So that the present Scrooge of the future might be, might reflect on and be changed by the past. And so if the manger scene of Jesus's birth in Bethlehem was already a pretty crowded place, now just throw in the whole host of expectant Old Testament saints now trying to catch but just a glimpse of the Christ child. Abraham and Joseph trying to see the lamb who would finally bring the full forgiveness of sins. Ruth and Rahab and Deborah on their tiptoes trying to see the king who would reign over his people and vanquish all of his enemies. Jeremiah and Ezekiel craning their necks to see the one who would finally bring new hearts which were alive to God. And not only these prophets and saints of old who were preparing the the way for the Christ, but Peter says that even the angels long to look at what Jesus came to bring and to do. The angels are in a relationship of peace with our triune God, but they do not have the relationship that you, the Christian, has with our triune God. That have experienced forgiveness and of redemption. That of welcoming adoption, that of mercy and of grace. These angels are like guests at a wedding who are just trying to catch a glimpse of the bride back through the window before she comes into the ceremony. And that, Christian, is exactly what you are. Christ Church, you're trusting in Christ, you are the bride of Christ. And it is toward the great wedding supper that we are waiting and we are hoping for. The time of engagement is not a time of dread and misery, or at least it shouldn't be. The time of engagement is a preparatory time, a time of waiting. And Jesus will not leave us or forsake us The prince will return for his bride, but it is to his return and to the marriage supper in which we hope. Our salvation of hope that is both both now and that is to come. Life is hard. God is good. Glory is coming. Therefore, stand firm in his grace. Amen. Let's pray toward that end. Our Father, we are so thankful that you have secured our inheritance in your Son, Jesus, that you have given us the first fruits, the um, down payment in the giving of your Spirit. And it is to the full reception, to the full inheritance, to the full salvation of our souls that we now long for and that we wait. We are thankful for even. Um, the, the difficult times of suffering and of loss and of isolation and of uh, just hardness so that we might be more and more aware that this is not the existence and the reality in which we are to hope. But God, we pray that you would now fix our hope, fix our eyes more firmly on Christ, who on the other side of the veil is our sure and steady anchor, 
And we pray for those amongst us who are thinking through these things, who are considering your son. And we pray that you would bring a new birth, that you might bring hope and perhaps for the first time a faith in him, that he has loved them, that he has lived and died on their behalf. God, we pray that you would make new sons and daughters in this time. You might adopt many into your family through our lives, through our encouragement, through our uh, evangelism, through our words of confident hope in Christ. God, we pray that you would do this for your glory, for the name of our King Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.